Welcome to Outspoken, where we dive deep into the topics and intersection of technology, money, business, and passion. I'm your host, Shana Cosgrove. There's nothing better than the feeling of watching somebody think they can't do something and then seeing that light come on in them and realize they can. Plus, everyone can do public speaking. The problem is something happened in between third and fifth grade that shot them down, created judgment. They lost the ability to do it. Number one tip is to back up on camera. It's hard for people to focus on you. It hurts the eyes. It strains us to have to stare at such close-up versions of people all day long when you back up. It more mimics real life and helps people to forget that there is that screen between you. And it also then allows you to use your hands and to use your body language, which helps people engage better. Sometimes Rebecca will sing back that thing up when she's doing it too. <laughs> Laughter breaks down all walls. If you can laugh, then you can get into someone's mind and their heart. If there's no laughter, it's horrible. Like really, you, you feel nothing. You gotta laugh, you gotta have fun with this. This podcast is sponsored by Nyla Technology Solutions, an SBA certified 8A, hub zone, woman-owned small business specializing in full-stack software engineering and data science services to the U.S. government. Our innovative solutions are built to match the speed of mission. For more information, partnering opportunities, and new job openings, please visit our website, www.nyla.io. It is great to see you. Thank you both so much for being here this early in the morning. For the listeners, you should know it is 6.30 in the morning. And they not only graciously agreed to meet me at 6.30 in the morning, they were early. Yeah, we were six o'clock. <laughs> but we're freakishly like that no matter what. When we have a conference, we show up 30 minutes early, yep. no matter what. Now, what time do you normally wake up? 4.50 every day, seven days a week. Are you serious? Yeah. And then what happens is... <laughs> That's I why nudge, I'm so uh, damn tired. I nudge Keith <laughs> and I'll say it's coffee time because the rest of the day I make all the meals and all the snacks, but Keith brings me coffee in the morning. But when he's completely bleary-eyed at that 4.50 time, he'll say things to me like, I have to finish up playing my 18 holes. He thinks he's playing golf. He which I, which I don't play. even play golf. I, don't know. I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I get that. I would play putt-putt. That's about it. So you put him on a 4.50 a.m. schedule? <laughs> that is why I always just want to collapse. I'm so I'm so close to committing a crime so I could go to jail and sleep in. That's oh now, my God. <laughs> he is a morning person, too. We both are morning people. But one of us wakes up a little perkier. You do. Well, that's how my husband is. He wakes up and he's like ready to just chat, 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 chat away. And I need some alone time. I'm like, I need quiet time, time to just think. He needs quiet time, unless it's the morning where he feels talkative. And then I might be ready in bed and he'll come up and be like, <laughs> can we talk about these 14.2 things? I am nothing but a hypocrite. Yes. A big contribution. <laughs> Keith and Rebecca, you both have interesting titles for what you do on LinkedIn. I'm always changing it to get different business entities. Mm -hmm. Rebecca doesn't change hers as much. Does it work, Keith, to change oh. it? Are we successful? Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're if we're going to get competitive. Oh, yeah. Right now, yours says it's not only coaching for your career. We take coaching to a personal level. Ooh. 
What brings you fulfillment in your personal life unlocks the answer to what you need in your career. Well, I should have good grammar too. Rebecca, yours is communications chiropractor. I feel like that was Keith and he gave no, it to I you. He stole it from me. What happens is <laughs> I use it and then yeah. Keith steals it and then I change mine so they don't match. I personally have no problem stealing Rebecca's. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about I met you at a party. This is your favorite. I met you at a party. What do you do for a living? We help people communicate better. We strip away all the junk. We're almost like home organizers, but we do that for your brain and your presence. Showing people you can be authentic and you don't have to be fake anymore. So those are interesting because those are kind of two different things, right? One is improving or is it two different things? It's, it's all in the same. It's helping people become the best versions of themselves. A lot of people think they need to go out there and completely change how they do everything. And that would set people up to be fake and robotic. What we do is figure out what's that one thing about each person that makes them stand out and how can we magnify that? So I'm not allowed to write out my speech and just read it. We would not (laughs) suggest that you do that because it's not a, because you're going to sound robotic. I mean, if you have met a friend for coffee, anywhere even here we didn't write out a script and that's why the conversation's better but when you write out a script you might as well email it to people and the reason we told you that was you have this great humor and timing and there's this magnetic energy about you but when you write it I out feel it all right through the screen you do oh my god do you flatter everyone <laughs> flattery- I, feel it, I feel it through the screen flattery gets you everywhere <laughs> I'm, I'm, being, I'm being pulled <laughs> <laughs> when you write it out, Shana, it completely flattens you, and you're this flat incredible silly. person. Yeah, it's flat, flat Shana. We don't want that. We don't want to be put you in our pocket and carry you around. I was pretty awful before I started working with you, right? Like we've heard, those we're were, not agree we've to that. heard other people, but I heard. remember those videos, my original videos. I might have to post and share some of those. Those are pretty awful. I would suggest you not. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason I came to you was my big sister. I was interviewed on Fox TV because they had a new show about computers taking over the world. And so the Fox News host wanted a local person to answer, will computers take (laughs) over the world? (laughs) And so in Baltimore, we all know yes. more than any place Doomsday else. Is coming. <laughs> will rescue us all. I probably still have this habit a little bit, but one, I had too many filler words in my interview, and I look up when I think. Mm-hmm. So I look away a lot. And my big sister texted me, you might want to work on your public speaking skills. <laughs> I have two older sisters, and they have never stopped telling me what to do. Hmm. Rebecca would fit in well with that family. Oh, that was a slam, because the truth is, Keith will tell me, make sure you tell me what to do, because I just like to be wherever I need to be. Who are we talking today? What are we doing? What's the topic? I'm like uh-huh. a celebrity. Just take me to the he room. He is. Public speaking is one of the most anxiety producing for all people. What is it like to be on the end of walking people through being more comfortable? It's like being torturers. That's what it's like. 
It's like being call leaders. You're there with them when they are at their worst, and then you help them realize that they can raise up and go to where they want to be. But kidding aside, there's nothing better than the feeling of watching somebody think they can't do something and then seeing that light come on in them and realize they can. Plus, everyone can do public speaking. The problem is something happened, and we've talked about this, something happened in between third and fifth grade that shot them down, created judgment, and they lost the ability to do it. It's, it's no different than if someone would train me about going over tall bridges, right? I used to have no fear of heights, and then something happened, and now I do, but I could go back to a time. So it's taking people back to a time where before there was judgment, before they felt shot down by society, because everybody has vocal cords, and most people have lips and a mouth. Just, we don't run into a lot of people that don't have those things, right? <laughs> so you have the tools to do it. It's just getting rid of the judgment stuff. I keep picturing Mr. Potato Head. I don't say everyone has them. Most people do. But a lot of people will tell us they can't, not realizing that anytime you're around anybody else, you are public speaking. Public speaking is talking to the person in line next to you at Starbucks. It's not only at a podium. Most people are not going to have those public speaking moments. And when they change the lens through which they view public speaking, then they're able to be easier on themselves. Are you looking for more from your career than just a paycheck? At Nyla, we offer that and so much more. Join us for a career where your growth is our priority. With generous pay, unbeatable benefits, and a supportive environment that cheers on your every achievement. We're scouting for top-tier data scientists, software engineers ready for something bigger. Ready to be a part of a company that cares about where you're going? We're ready for you. Check us out at nylatechnologysolutions.com or drop us a line at hello at nyla.io. What are the typical ways that you start with a team? Number one way is to get rid of, and we tell everybody this after eight years, is fill the words. Extra garbage. It's like trying to sell your house without cleaning it out first. Right. Everybody has way too much junk stuck in their head that they say when they're telling a story, when they're talking, all the filler words, all the useless, boring phrases, all the apologies. They got to get rid of all that. It's like a time for goodwill to come and pick up everything. Imagine walking into our living room and having just all the dog hair from our St. Bernard all over the floor. You're wigging me out right now. (laughs) Where you can't even see the floor and dust on the walls and ceilings and clothes all over the floor and food wrappers. That's how most people communicate. And the person on the receiving end has to sift through all that junk to try to figure out what the person is really saying. And we come in and bag up all that trash. Bag it up, vacuum, clean it up. Throw it out. Oh, yeah. How? How? (laughs) We told you that. That's our secret. That's like that. I know, you're asking for our recipe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we perform what we call a non-religious exorcism. And it works <laughs> every single time. And we've done this Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, Hare Krishna, Moonies, Seven Day Adventist. We're going to name everyone for the next hour for your show, every religion. But, but the fact is, it's non-religious, but we have to get it out of people. And they don't realize. And the only way to do that is through a little jarring sound we call the drum. Mm. The drum. And people have to hear it because once they hear it, they're going to hear that filler in everyone else. We always tell people, don't practice because when you practice, 
you just sound robotic. Listen to everyone you come in contact with and hear their filler words and get annoyed with it. And this is where it puts us apart from a lot of other coaches. Well, a lot of things do. A lot of things do. But <laughs> we know other people who tell their clients for every minute of a talk you're going to give, you need to practice for at least an hour. Mm. And if you do that, you're going to dig yourself into a hole and sound even worse. Once people are done with their session with us, what sets us apart is we tell people not only don't practice, but we have people go out and listen to other people around them. And you hear these words. And as you hear them more, because you've been jarred into hearing mm-hmm. them more, you get annoyed by them and they naturally leave your conversations. So the key to life is to blame others, not yourself. As you can <laughs> tell, because you've seen that happen a few times. It's other people's fault. They're messing <laughs> you up, not you. So once you hear them, you think, damn, I don't want to sound like those people. I sound ridiculous. It's anything in life. You get in someone's car, it's all trashed out, nasty. You go home, you want to vacuum your own car. Are there filler words that are generational? I'm thinking about people who are my age say like. Mm. Like is a generational, absolutely. absolutely. And another one we hear from the parents' generation Mm. is, and so on and so forth. Mm. Or at the beginning of the day. Or at the end of the day. It's never in the middle of the day. And when is the end of the day? What do younger people say? What does like millennials or Gen Z say? Do they have filler words? Oh, yes. And then sure is another one. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Got it. Got sure. it. Got it. Sure. Yep. <laughs> like what the hell K. is it? K. K. <laughs> Younger folks, I think in some ways, they just don't even speak as much <laughs> because they're always texting. And when you get them on the phone, Mm -hmm. they use even more filler words because that's not their comfort zone. Their comfort zone is hiding behind that keyboard and typing in K, got it. And then you put them in person and they flub all over the place, which keeps us in business. We're like funeral directors, Mm -hmm. always in business. (laughs) You got a lot of jokes this morning, Keith. I do. I'm just, I'm I'm so excited to see you because you're so magnetic. (laughs) (laughs) I once met with a woman and her filler word was, so what are you going to do about that? (laughs) She had an entire sentence. So what are you going to do about that? I like that. That's like every day. day. So what are you going to do about that? (laughs) We were interviewing a woman once. We do second interviews for companies because people will often tell us things that they will not tell the employer and they forget that we report back to the employer. And we were... We were spies. Yes. We were doing one of these interviews and the woman at the end of every sentence would say, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Every sentence. And finally we said, no, we have no idea. What you're <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about anymore. And she was not even aware when we played with her on it, because we're not the nicest people always. We played no. with her on it and she had no idea she said it. What is the most common filler word? Uh, uh, so. Uh, and so. Uh. Oh God, I love so. The long drawn out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then people, once you get them on that word, then they'll take other words and draw them out. I was just <laughs> and, and gets drawn out a long time oh, yeah. too. Depends. It is draw all of that. Do most people speak too fast? Either we're really slow yeah. or everybody speaks too fast. And the reason is when people are a little nervous or out of their comfort zone and their heart begins to beat faster, it plays tricks in the mind. And then people start talking faster without realizing it. And most people think that people want to hear what they have to say, too. 
And most people really don't want to hear what they have to say. So they speak really fast to get it all out. They realize no one's really listening to them. It's because, a strange phenomenon that people yeah. feel cut off all the time. So they speak really fast, but no one's listening anyway. Because they're sharing too many details. We meet people who will say things like, well, in July, well, maybe it was August of 2020. No, no, it was July. It was definitely July, July 5th. And uh, no, it was the 7th. It was the 7th. And we were on Route 15. No, no, Route 202. And you're like, who gives I'm a like, Get it out. Let us know. We don't care. I find that people love talking about themselves. One of my favorite books is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I think the first or second chapter of the book is him saying people love, mm -hmm. love talking about themselves. So when Amanda joined our company, I said, she's like, I don't know about government contracting. And I was like, smile and ask people a question about themselves. And she came back with three partnerships. <laughs> I think there are a lot of lonely people out there who feel as though no one listens to them. So when they find that prey that listens and doesn't speak back, they go for it. And those are the same people who after vomiting everything about themselves all day long will say, Shana, that was a great conversation. I've learned a lot about you. <laughs> because they think it was a good conversation. And the same applies. It's a good thing that people are selfish like this because the same applies to sales. When Keith and I are meeting with a prospective client, we never say, do you want to buy? Or we sell these things. Ready to sign up. <laughs> Let's get well, you on board. Used to do that. Let's get you but on board. Now we find that if we say nothing and let them do the talking, they'll even handle the sale too. That's why we're not going to say anything more for this program. I don't think you're capable. Oh, <laughs> oh man. now Keith will say nothing because if you say to Keith, I don't think you're capable of getting the kitchen painted or last summer around this time. I don't think you're capable of building patio furniture. Right. End of the day, it's all done. Yeah, I'm a little he likes a challenge. I'm a little neurotic about that stuff. I have two questions for you. You said people are not heard. People keep talking because they want to be heard. What do you think is the best way of being heard? For them to say less. The reason they don't feel heard is people can't stand listening to them because they have to put all that energy into figuring out what the person is really saying. When you pull back and say less, people are able to absorb it. It's also people don't realize that they don't make their stories interesting. They're not funny. They're not interesting. They really don't have a lot of details. There's no drama. They're boring. A lot of what people say is boring, boring information. That's not interesting. It's like a boring TV show. We search on Netflix forever to find something interesting, but people never think maybe I should become more interesting. And it's painful, some of these conversations <laughs> about absolutely nothing. If you're not interesting, don't talk so much. <laughs> the interesting snob here. That's fine. Find something that's unique or share something, but oh my God. I think one of the best exercises for me personally was the exercise about going to anchor words. Can you describe that exercise? You are the one who coined it the anchor words, not us. I remember one time Shana said, could you do that anchor word exercise? I'm thinking, I'm I'm like, what the hell is she talking like about? Anchor words. What are we talking about now? <laughs> but we call it the circle game because we're, we're simpletons. But anchor sounds much savvier. I thought of it as like a talisman. What is almost something in your pocket, right? That you would touch for good luck or to bring you back to who you are. 
the whole reason for this game is that when people are meeting new people and they'll say, tell me about yourself. And they'll usually tell you their name, their title, and how long they've been doing whatever they're doing as though they're talking about jail time. It's boring. Keith will give an example. <laughs> are you saying? <laughs> Hi, I'm Keith Scott with Tall Small Productions. We've been in business for eight years and we'd love to work with you on your public speaking communication so you can rise up the ranks in management with your company and be profitable as a public speaker. Look forward to talking to you. That's the typical boring networking introduction. Which is why we created this exercise because we're selfish and we couldn't handle hearing those types of introductions. <laughs> That's I don't know what accent out. that was. Oh my goodness, get that Baltimore out of me. Uh -oh. we, would, we have people draw a circle on a piece of paper. And then in the center of the circle, they have to write down what it is that keeps them going in life. And we don't mean coffee in the morning. This gets a little more serious. Yeah, code serious as we tell our kids. But what gets you out of bed? What's the point of life, really? I mean, if you didn't have this, you think, oh, I don't even know why I do another day. The thing in the middle, the word in the middle is the thing that keeps you motivated. And why is that important? Because without that, you don't have authenticity. You're not real. You just follow this fake life. And then what's around the circle, Rebecca? What's around the anchor? What's the chain surrounding? Thank you for keeping talking while I let that no coffee down. <laughs> Around the anchor of the circle are the anchor words that Shana so eloquently named them. Wow. We have people write down four more words, and each of these words supports that word in the center, gives it context. Because if some people write family in the center, some people might love their families, some people might not. And these are the words that help if, define. If it was a recipe, these words would be the ingredients. Mm. Thank you for the setup. And then what we do is we have people introduce themselves using these words. And it sounds cheesy and ridiculous. And we mean for it, too, because you have to go really far to then rein it back in and do it in a more normal way. Can you give an example? Let's say you put the word family in the center. Then instead of saying, hi, my name is Rebecca Klein and I'm with Tall Small Productions, I report to Keith Scott. The way that you could flip that up is say family. Once you are a part of our tall, small family, we never let you out. People come to us when they feel stuck in life. They feel trapped. They feel as though their voice is not heard. We show them how to peel back all the clutter and how to bring their voice back alive, return to that playful person they were at age eight. I'm Rebecca Klein with Tall Small Productions. You put the name at the end and that way people remember you. You said family is one of the most common things that people put in the center. That's right. It is. Has anybody really surprised you and had something out of left field? People put sex in the middle. We've had someone put death in the middle. Some people put death because they have a fear of death, so they mm -hmm. want to live for today. People put all kinds of people with chocolate, food. We had people put shopping. I mean, things where you think, oh, gosh, <laughs> this is not a person I want to get to know. We've had people put Shana in the middle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> and when you weave together all these words and use every single one of them, it does sound ridiculous. It's over the top. But once you get into the habit of doing that, then you might pull one or two of the words out. And the reason it matters is it these are the words that keep you alive. Let's give you an impression. <laughs> then when you say them, you're going to radiate a whole different energy and confidence than when you say things you don't really care about. I found that to be true. My word was love. 
and the other words were service. And I think right after I hired you, I had to give a talk to my industry. Though it was COVID and probably no one was really listening because it was on in the background, I was very nervous. Mm. And I think I started with, I love government contracting, (laughs) (laughs) which is true. And the thing about those words is it relaxes you Mm. and it puts you back to who you are authentically as a person. I thought it was such a neat and critical exercise because, as you say, you have to be your authentic self. It's not just, are you have an interesting topic? It is, are you excited and interested about it? As Rebecca said, everything about your body changes and relaxes when you say these things that bring you real joy and passion. Using those authentic words, it is so true that people's body, their eyes, everything about them radiates a certain sense of authenticity. And the biggest reason that sales or contracts or relationships work is because we build a connection. Once you have a connection, you want to work with someone because basically there's nothing new under the sun, really, in many ways. But it's the people who service things. It's the people you work with that makes a difference, not so much the product, how you feel when you work with somebody. And that's, that's what this exercise does. It automatically and quickly connects you with another person. It's forced authenticity. Filler words using anchor words. And then what is the third thing that you typically work on with people? Body language. Because body language, if your body language is not in alignment, as Keith is demonstrating over here, with your words, it throws everything off. And we've had people who get called in for every single job interview, flown all over the country, and then they don't get the job. And sometimes it's the body language. If you look like you're uncomfortable with yourself, if you're bouncing in your seat the whole time or looking away, then it competes with the words. Keith, we're on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Keith was bouncing up and down to demonstrate, but we are on a podcast. I have to feel it. I do this Mm -hmm. through all things. That's how I, I sensory. But it is true about the, in terms of body language, Body language is what we communicate when we walk outside the door, when we're walking down the sidewalk. Who isn't watching other people, or I love to watch other people, and making judgment calls about people. And the people say, well, I never judge or lie, because you have to judge for safety-wise, whatever. But the fact is, watching people's body language tells you more than anything else, because typically their bodies change before the words vocalize. But you'll notice a change in their bodies. And then you'll hear words. And then you got to figure out, do the words and the body language, do they match or are they polar opposites? And that's where you figure out, are people being real or not? You can see this often when you're talking to someone and they start to shake their head no and they say yes. They're not even aware that they're shaking their head no because they're lying and they're saying yes to you because they think, let's just say yes to this to get this conversation to end. But you see the head going no. What about playing with your hair? I had a really bad habit of playing with my hair in meetings. We have a lot of our clients wear hats now. That's why we bring (laughs) scissors to the meetings. But we see this happen particularly with women. And what's fascinating is you see this across the board. We see this when women are giving testimony in a courtroom or in a boardroom where they will play with their hair. And then they reach a point where you can tell they're comfortable in what they're saying and they stop. And a hack to avoid that is to do something that people can't see you doing. Curl and uncurl your toes, and you can send the nervous energy there, and then people can't tell that you're doing it. 
We've also had people put peanut butter on their fingers before a presentation. You got to come up with strategies here, Chayda. You need new strategies. <laughs> Is there a gendered specific body language where they give the example of women curl in and try to take up as little space as possible and men take over all the room and have their legs typically wide open. How do you address that? Do the women need to be more like the men, right? Do the women need to take up more space and how do they do that? It's not that women need to take up more space, but it's a matter of looking comfortable and untying all the knots that they typically have in their bodies. Women will often have their arms crossed really tight, their legs are crossed, they're starting to play with their hair. And it's not so much about making themselves smaller or bigger, but about showing confidence and an open stance. And when you see open palms and people are using their hands, it shows a certain confidence. How do you become this new person who is relaxed? Remember when you're out with people or in the public, as Shakespeare said, the world is a stage. When you're actors, you're acting in many ways. Every day you don't want to get up and do some of the things you have to do, but you're acting and you got to realize that people are watching you at all times. You have to become somewhat paranoid and realize that for you to make connections, you have to be open. When we close our body, we don't make a lot of connections. When we're open and we're relaxed, that's where we invite people in. Is it easy to do every day? No. Some days you wake up and you're in a real crummy mood. You're not in the mood to do it, but you have to go into that acting role. And to go into that role, mm -hmm. we'll often give our clients homework to go out and observe people. We had this one client who always looked incredibly angry. And sometimes she would start yelling at us because she was in a bad mood about life. And she was unaware of what she was projecting and upset that she wasn't making meaningful connections with people. But she didn't treat them in the most friendly way. And we had her observe other people at a large train station. Mm -hmm. And she noticed how she felt when people weren't smiling and they were scowling at her. And she put it into practice. It's not so much what we tell people to do, but giving them the chance to go out there and learn it for themselves. The next time we met with her, we barely recognized her because she was smiling. Smiling and wearing her. bright colors like yellow before. She was like dressed for a funeral every day. Before that, she had yellow. She was smiling. She was happy. And you have to. You have to push yourself some days. You have to understand when you walk out the door, wherever you are, that people are watching at every moment. That's why it's good to take a break from that and go to a place like I do every day in the woods or other place where there's not a soul watching because you have to release that. But the world is, it's a stage. In your social media, you talk a lot about self-care and self-talk. Why do you do that when your goal is public speaking and communication? I don't know. <laughs> it's completely connected to it because we are often our biggest roadblocks when it comes to public speaking. And if you don't look at that self-talk component, then it's impossible for people to improve because until you look at the running narrative that's taking place in their own mind, nothing you say is going to help them. And we have got to get into their minds with them and figure out what is your inner critic telling you and how can we fix that? Because that's what holds people back more often than anything else. People beat themselves up. People speak to themselves in ways they'd never talk to anybody else. Yeah, you're going to mess this up. You're going to look like a fool. You're going to fail. Those people are laughing at you right now. I mean, we say all that stuff to ourselves and we psych ourselves. Up. That's another reason we talk about filler words. Some of the ones like just and other. Because when you say, oh, I just believe this, you become that mantra because you're constantly talking to yourself about it. 
which is the problem with it. Because a lot of people think, well, no one else can hear that voice in my head, but they can, because when you're constantly putting yourself down, that's what causes people to cower and to look down or to use those words that Keith was saying, the doormat words, the just, and I'm so sorry. You become that voice in your head. That's why we promote narcissism. We believe that that is. You lead that example very well. (laughs) Does that mean everyone should be doing daily affirmations? Should we have like sticky notes tied to our mirror, giving ourselves pep talks? Or what is the best way to break negative self-talk? We are all for affirmations. But something else that we found that works even better than the affirmations is to run your self-talk through a series of questions. Because if you're a more logical person, this can help more than the affirmations. If you say, for example, with your self-talk, am I thinking in extremes? And you run this self-talk through a series of 10 questions that we've put together. Proprietary information. Yes. Highly top secret. (laughs) You find that as you're going through these questions, it forces you to stop in your own tracks and realize where this is coming from. Some people don't get off on, I'm as free as a horse galloping in a meadow that (laughs) loves me and cares for me and embraces everything I do. I mean, some people, it doesn't float their boat. Other people need more logical stuff. So it's a balance. And with our clients, we figure out what is it that will work for them. We always used to do the affirmations. And when we first started working with you, we were in that mode until more recently, we've figured out this series of questions. And that's one of the things that we love about what we do is we're always figuring out how to do things differently. Yeah, I don't like affirmations. I think because it seems maybe hopeful and I like anchoring to, I think, things that were true, like where have I been successful or you have done this before and it has turned out okay. And I think one of the things, Keith, you specifically talk about in the training is not everyone's going to like you, which is a weird thing to say. When you go out to a crowd, say you're talking to 100 people, there might be 10, 12 people that don't like you. They don't like the way you look. They don't like how tall you are. They don't like how you say a word. It reminds them of an ex-partner that they had in life. There's something about They don't even like you when you walk up to the stage. It's just a gut feeling. And, and you can use this example if you go out and watch people in a crowd or in a restaurant. There's certain people you look at and you're like, oh, that reminds me of that guy in high school. And it's okay. Not everybody's going to like you. Just accept that. Because a lot of people walk into a room thinking, I, I want everyone to like me. That's just never a reality. Always know there's going to be people that just can't stand you. And that's okay. I think from a marketing perspective, too, the more specific you are and the more you solve a specific problem for a specific type of person, the better you are actually at building your business versus trying to be everything and watering yourself down so that you're generic and people don't know where to start with you. They don't know where you're actually the most helpful. Couldn't agree more because there's lots of people that wouldn't want to work with us because we don't have the generic type of training. There's certain people that say, well, I want a workbook and I want 10 chapters and I want, you know, I want formulas. Oh yeah. You guys don't even do agendas. No, Well, we have one for us. We don't show you, but, and we, we shift it constantly, but we learned this early on because someone once said to us, what percentage of proposals that you send out turn into business? And we sat there and we're all proud and snarky like about 100. it. And said, about 100%. Yeah. Very rarely does one not turn out. And he said, well, that's horrible. 
And we really had to step back. Because if you are attracting everybody, if you're selling, and I give the example, if you're selling Rolls Royces and you're selling them all out every month, well, you're not pricing it right. You're not attracting, not everybody is driving a Rolls Royce. I mean, there are certain type of customer and the same thing in business. You're going to get a certain type of customer that's going to fit your profile. Because you, said, you put it perfectly when you said you're watering you yourself do. down. Did you increase your prices after that? We increased <laughs> our prices. And we also changed the structure of what we did because previously when people would say to us, oh, could you start writing my blog posts or could you do this? We'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd say yes to everything. And realize that, yes, we can do that, but then it takes away from doing what we do best. And that's where we said, okay, we're going to do these specific things and we're going to begin to say no to other things. Well, I think in the beginning of starting a business, you have a vision for where you want to be, but you're scared about the money. So I'm sympathetic that in the beginning, it is very, very scary to narrow And it is very scary to say, like, this is what I'm good at when you're worried about income, when you're worried about clients, when you don't have the reputation yet. So for all of those of you listening out there who are selling everything to everybody, it's okay, you know, (laughs) but lean into where you're strongest. And that's where you come the most alive, both in your face and your body language. And it becomes natural sales because you too also, and I think, you're great about making this clear from the get-go is you have a very unique style of working with people as well. It's not a pure logical step by step by step, which some people really, that's hard for them to deal with. And it's been drilled in by school systems and 12 years of education, step by step. Now get up and present your report. Here's what I'm going to talk about here. You know, all those things. And we're also big believers, and you've noticed this as we talk, but laughter breaks down all walls. If you can laugh, then you can get into someone's mind and their heart. If there's no laughter, it's just, it's horrible. It really, you you feel nothing. You got to laugh. You got to have fun with this. And you also have to go back to the best communicators, our kids. Why? Because they don't have the judgment. And we want to bring people back to a place where they're not worried about the judgment. And when you come to the table with a full curriculum, and agendas typed out. That doesn't exactly promote a culture of laughter. And what we find is that when people come to us and they say, well, what's my curriculum? I want to know what we're going to do for these next six sessions. We'll always say to them, trust us, let's do one. And then we'll come up with some recommendations. And we guarantee that you're going to come back to us and say, I want to shift the topics. And that's the hardest hump for people to overcome, to feel comfortable doing that. But then they realize, wait a minute, If an hour before a session with Tall Small, I have something happen and I want to change the topic, it doesn't phase us. We're Mm -hmm. fine with that and we encourage it because it's all about being relevant. Plus, we tell people all the time in the first session, you may not like us, we may not like you. So don't sign up for six classes if I don't (laughs) like you or you don't like me. (laughs) Let's be honest. We might be working like, man, you're annoying or I don't like how you do that thing with your eye. Well, no, but... But the fact is, that's the truth. A lot of people, they don't realize that we don't want anybody stuck with us if they don't want to be with us. Or we don't want to be with them. Now, how did you two come together and start this business? I saw Rebecca dancing. And <laughs> no, I can't. How did we come together? We met on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And we realized how much we had in common about being real. In our first conversation, we talked for hours. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You met on LinkedIn what year? 2014. 
So you were like the only people on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's why we found each other. We were the only two on LinkedIn at the time, right? I think like nobody used LinkedIn in 2014. We've always been nerds. We did. We've, We've always, always been nerds at heart. And we realized, <laughs> hey, we're fellow nerds. And we fell into everything because we decided, let's try doing a session together. We were both doing our own projects that were similar in terms of communication. And we thought, let's do a joint public speaking class. But that took some time because I had to train Rebecca. So it mm-hmm. took some time. Shana doesn't believe you. So we did a session together. The only thing I learned was when you do something, you're already being tall. Rebecca pushed me out of the way all the time because I would stand in front. I'd be like, You didn't Today. realize that when we're co-teaching, <laughs> that a six foot nine person standing in front of someone who's 19 inches shorter yes. is not the smartest thing. So it, t- it did take it a, takes us a little bit of time. But as we were doing this one class, we had eight people in it. Mm-hmm. That really set us up because they were all with different companies and nonprofits. And they said, hey, can you, a couple people said, hey, can you come talk to our organization? And they said, what's your logo? What's your company name? And Keith and I looked at each other and said, tall, small. And it's that simple. There are people who sit there and come up with brands forever. Ours took about two minutes. We're like, I'm tall, you're small. Okay. Let's make an LLC. Were you debate nerds in high school? How does someone grow up and be like, I love public speaking. I want to get everyone better at speaking. Where does that even start? We have two different stories on that. Sure, sure. As a little kid, Mm -hmm. I was addicted to figuring out how people moved and understanding them. And it was a little embarrassing probably for my parents because when I was three or four, I would imitate people. I called it shadowing them. And I'd walk behind them and try to move how they moved and try to figure out what they were thinking and how they were acting and that body language. I certainly didn't know the words, but I became really into it. And then as I got older, I was very shy, but I found that I loved telling stories and that by interviewing people, I was able to have a conversation without having to say a lot, which is probably why I went into journalism. And Keith's is more the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was always in trouble messing up in school and classes. So I was always having to negotiate and debate with teachers and other people to get myself out of trouble. And even through college, I had to negotiate to get certain credits for classes. My whole life was getting out of trouble and using my mouth. One big fight. One big fight and how to negotiate. So that was my public speaking was constantly trying to talk my way through things. But what was the decision for you to try to make a living from that? Oh, that was easy. Rebecca and I hear people and go to conferences together. And we thought, my God, people are boring. And I cannot listen to this anymore. And we thought, if there's one thing we can do for the world is make it a little less boring. That's really the impetus, we thought. (laughs) And we thought, there's too many loudmouths out there saying stuff that's just boring and not true. And the quiet people who are smart aren't speaking up. So we got to help bring those smart people to the table Otherwise, we're going to have a world full of dumb ideas. And we could have fun doing it because what didn't work for us were long-term projects where you never see that outcome. And what we love with working with people is we can see outcomes fast. Mm -hmm. Even if we're doing a single session with someone, when they leave after those 90 minutes, there's a dramatic difference in how they're communicating. Did you two start working together before you got married? Or did you get married and start working together? We got married to make the business look better. Oh, well, we have had people. <laughs> we have people who thought that we have a fake marriage, but we started working together first mm-hmm. and then we got married. We realized and, it all connected. And we were such nerds about it because we got married in the courthouse in Baltimore County. $35. $35 and had a session about 20 minutes later. 
That was a great story. I I didn't I thought they took bank cards mm-hmm. or anything, and so they're like, "You ready? Thirty five dollars." I'm like, "I don't have cash." He's but like, "Stand there, I'll be right back." I ran down the ATM, <laughs> ran back, got my thirty five bucks. Oh, wait, it was cash only. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's cash only, man. It's like, and usually I care about what I'm wearing, but it was this. 20 degree blustery freezing day. I never even took my coat off. I couldn't even tell you what either of us had on because we had lots of layers. Here's the interesting story about You Robert. don't even have a picture from it? No. No, no. no. The, the two people who take photos everywhere? I know, don't even. <laughs> Here's the best part. I will always remember this. We're in this small little type of government room with a fake, you know, plastic flower. It was incredibly one depressing. flower in the corner, right? barely any lights. And the lady that was doing the service, one even service, she was just like, do you take but so afterwards (laughs) rebecca goes talks to her we're done she goes do you enjoy your job because she was (laughs) serious to be there and then sure enough she let it out she said people come here they pay their 35 dollars. i don't know what they're expecting they want real flowers they want champagne they want music you pay 35 dollars you get me is basically what she said (laughs) was she going through a divorce well i don't know but I would never go back and recommend anyone go to the courthouse to do this because the divorces and the marriages happen at opposite ends of the hallway and the bathrooms are shared. You're going in there all smiling and ready and people <laughs> crying in the stalls. You two are a romantic couple. Why did you choose to get married right before you had a work session? <laughs> Were you just like booking things, Rebecca? Like, I got to do this, 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 this. Probably. No, no, the truth is, Keith, is really impulsive. And once you decide you're going to do something, he wants to do it now. He wants to do it yesterday. And the romantic part of this whole thing was about a week earlier, there was a blizzard. And oh we God, were, this is not, this, this makes the story even worse. <laughs> we were taking a walk in the snow and we came upon the funeral home across the street from us. <laughs> and Keith said, come stand under the overhang with me. At the funeral home. At the funeral home. And he got down on one knee at the in the snow at the funeral home. And if, if you look the other way, it was just this beautiful snowy night. York Road, nobody on it. York Road's always beautiful. If you though. turned the other way, you'd see the funeral home. It's always a beautiful road. And right after Keith proposed, and I said, yes, he said, okay, let's do it this week. I like to begin with the end in mind. Remember as Covey mm-hmm. said? Right. So the funeral home was our last stop, probably. <laughs> so then we went backwards. And I said, let's go. And then we didn't tell anybody for a week. But the crazy part is when we mm-hmm. took our four kids and we thought we're going to tell them and we really thought about how we're going to explain this to them. We took them out to lunch and we set them down and said, we have something to share with you. And we told them our two girls were probably eight or nine at the time. Mm-hmm. And they said, can we get dessert? They were completely <laughs> Was more important than us. Seth said, can I get more fries? Because we were Burger King when we told him. No, we were at a kebab <laughs> place. And Seth said, I have a question. We thought, okay, finally, somebody cares. He's going to yeah. ask us something. Mm-hmm. And Seth turned to us and he said, how exactly do you think the world started? Because I have a theory. Remember <laughs> <laughs> what we just told you? And then no one the cares. No one and cares. they said, well, we could have told you that was happening. So you didn't even surprise them. It wasn't no. even. Yeah, it's been really it was anticlimactic from the funeral home to the courthouse. You two work together. Together, you are literally right next to each other, touching. What is it like to work that closely with someone all day long, day in day out? Well, number one, you want to make sure they have good deodorant. That is the <laughs> number one. <laughs> We do everything but go to the bathroom That's right. together. 
But then when people ask us that, we think, why would you commit to being with somebody in life and not want to be with them? We find the working together to be really easy. Do we have pet peeves about each other? Of course mm-hmm. we do. And do we know when each other's in a good mood or bad mood? We're not happy-go-lucky people all day long by any stretch. Mm-hmm. But you learn how to negotiate and pivot. It's like playing a game. It's a good test every day for what we do with other people. You know when it's a good time to go talk, when it's not, when to maybe pivot and go to another room, when to spend a little more time in the bathroom mm. with the door shut. Are you both extroverts so you get energy from each other? I'm a complete, I really am a complete mm-hmm. introvert. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. You'd be surprised after a big event, let's say we're in another city pre COVID and I can't wait till we can do it again. After we've given a talk for a big room of people, part of the understanding in the relationship knows I know now that Keith needs about five hours then to decompress alone. Mm -hmm. And then I will go explore the city where we are and figure out what are some fun things we can go do here. Once Keith comes out of hiding, I do guys. I'm like, but no, I, I really I find alone time because I was an only child, spent a lot of time alone. That's my comfort zone. And that's where I feel most alive in many ways after being with tons of people. I mean, my most alive is obviously with Rebecca. Are you an introvert or extrovert, Shana? I'm in the middle. I need recovery time by myself to get my energy to get the creativity going. But I also get energy from talking to people and enjoy. So I think I'm pretty in the middle of the road. Brian and I came to you for a session because we struggled in meetings together. What are good cues that you recommend for someone to share the stage with someone else? To never correct the other person. Unless it's a matter of life or death. When Keith and I are talking with a client, if one of us says something that's completely off, the other goes with it. The idea is to always make the other person look good. The only time there was one time that Keith did get a swift kick under the table, we had I had conversations with a client. We had agreed on a fee. Early on. Early on. Early 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 on. Second day. (laughs) We had agreed on a fee for a project. Keith, I guess, forgot that we had agreed on a fee. And we're going in there to do the final conversation. And everything was already agreed on with a contract. And Keith said, well, we could do the first session free if you want to try us out. <laughs> I learned. And, that's, and that's when that's the other part about working together is we each have elements of the conversation mm-hmm. that we've realized it's better if one person talks about the financial end. And, and to give you an example, go back to yours, Shana. I always think about whenever Rebecca and I go out or any couple, any two people that are in a business, you have to pretend you're in a Vegas show. Mm-hmm like a Sonny and Cher, and these people out in the audience have saved up all year, come out and buy tickets to watch, and they want to see Sonny and Cher. They don't want to see Sonny and Cher go, why did you sing that note, right? They want to see the show. They've been living their whole life. And that's the thing is everybody has dirty laundry, but you don't need to hang it out there for all. No. You have another secret tip for sharing the stage. We do. Mm. Should we reveal that? That's a little juicy. I know, I know. I don't need your hammer. (laughs) (laughs) We started doing this because we would both be super excited about something and talk on top of each Mm -hmm. other. And now what we do is when I'm talking, my hands are open. And when I close them, I open my hands. And then I shut my hands when I'm done talking. That way, if you're on a, like Rebecca said, a big stage anywhere, you don't talk on top of each other. And after you do this for a while, you, you don't have to do it all the time because you get used to it. But the worst thing is for someone else to see it, people talking over each other because they, 
I feel like they're completely unstable. It'd be like a basketball team and people were just dribbling in the wrong way and passing it the wrong way. It just looks disorganized. And it's also gotten us gigs. We were on the phone once with someone who was booking a conference in Chicago and we were in different rooms of the house, both on the phone. I was on the West Wing. Yes, West you were on the West Wing about two feet away. <laughs> and the guy said, you two are sitting right next to each other, aren't you? And we said, no. And he said, well, how do you do that? How do you not interrupt each other? You're hired. As we've moved to more digital expressions of ourselves, what are your major tips for coming across well, both on camera and through digital communication? Number one tip is to back up on camera. It's hard for people to focus on you. It hurts the eyes. It strains us to have to stare at such close-up versions of people all day long when you back up. It more mimics real life and helps people to forget that there is that screen between you. And it also then allows you to use your hands and to use your body language, which helps people engage better. With Sometimes you. Rebecca will sing back that thing up when she's doing it too. Do you also help with emails? Yes. Oh, that's a softball. <laughs> yes. Yes. A lot of people will write these novels that no one bothers to open. They'll sit there and agonize over every word and read it over and over again and have this boring subject line and no one gets past the subject line. And we help people say it shorter because shorter is always sweeter in Rebecca's world. <laughs> so I don't need to have a white paper for everything. No. Oh my God, no. I can't even imagine creating a white paper. Because then you're the only one <laughs> exactly. who will read it. Right. As we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I am a huge reader and I love reading books. What is a book that you've read either for work or personally that's had a big impact on your life? While we do read <laughs> and are educated to be able to read, we don't read books on our own topics many times. We believe that the best source of education is observing the world and really observing going places you're not comfortable going, meeting people you don't normally talk to, pushing the envelope. That's the best education in the world for us. That's how we learn. I agree with Keith on going out there mm -hmm. and observing because a lot of people will say to us, well, what's that one book that I have to read? Can you prescribe it as though once we have them read that book, it's going to fix absolutely everything. I do love reading and I read usually in the middle of two or three books in all different genres. And they take me forever to finish these days because I fall asleep with my mouth open with the book in hand usually. Well, I think that's a great example because you can read all the books in the world about, say, running, but it doesn't make you a better runner. You have to do the thing. That's where a lot of people get trapped, which keeps us in business. There are a lot of people who will say, well, I've got to get my business plan. I've got to get my LLC. I have to figure out my social media persona and calendar out a year of social media before I do anything. And then we know this is never going anywhere. Yeah, I think people want to plan as if planning will prevent them from making mistakes. You cannot prevent mistakes, no matter how much advice you get, no matter what school you went to, you will have to make a game day decision. And a lot of times there is no right answer and you just have to go through and learn what it is for you specifically. If you could go back and give your younger self advice, what would you give yourself? Not to overthink things. I 
especially at a younger point, would would think things through for way too long. And now I set timers for it, but <laughs> I do. But I would sit there and play out everything in a million different ways and worry how it would impact each person in any situation, not realizing at the time that none of it really mattered. What's the timer set to? <laughs> Five minutes. How many alarms do you set in the morning, Rebecca? About 10. 10 alarms. <laughs> really? 10 alarms, even <laughs> though you wake up at the same time every day? Uh-huh. Why do you do wow. that? Wow. Probably from the old phobia of oversleeping. When I worked in news and, and worked the early morning show, I would call local hotels in my little California town area and ask the front desk to give me wake-up calls. And they did. As though that were the most even normal request. Even though you weren't staying at the even hotel. Even though I wasn't staying at the hotel, I got wake-up calls daily. To your house. Did they not think it was odd that they were dialing outside the hotel? Well, I made it sound... Completely. Wait, not. are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and that's in life. If you make a request, so I thought she was joking. No, she's she's serious. Like that's not in our hotel, but we're happy to put you on the list. <laughs> <laughs> but did you want to hear my advice? It's uh, not to take life so seriously that it's it's really quite absurd. And as you get older, the world becomes more absurd. And to not take everything as serious as we do when we're young. We, people worry, we worry about everything under the sun. Am I going to get in the right college? Am I going to get the right job? Am I going to make the right, my right partner? It all works itself out. Sometimes you overthink and overplan because you think that there's a right answer. And as I got older, I learned there is no right answer. Or what was the right answer for somebody else is not the right answer for you. And it's hard to come to terms with trusting yourself and trusting your experience. And I don't know if that is because of like, Keith, you said the school teaches you to do this thing and to do it a certain way. And they don't allow for a lot of deviations or creativity in the outcome, right? It's a prescribed method and a prescribed process. So for me, I think that was my biggest experience is I had good instincts, but I was for so long afraid to trust my instincts and for so long looking out there for someone else to have the answer. And what's interesting, too, is when you start a business, you have to be different, right? What is your differentiator is the most common question. One of your differentiators is your very unique style and you make it fun, right, and relax people for talking. But I think it's hard when you're younger to lean into your differences that do make you special. It's so interesting. Is there something I should ask you that I didn't ask? We, this summer, launched a new way to test drive working with us. We created a series for people who are not yet ready to make the commitment financially or time-wise to do individual sessions and their company or agency doesn't offer that. We created mini public group classes where we cap it to 10 people. People get the same small group experience. And on our website, which is tallsmallproductions.org, we list a whole series of events. Each one is $99. It's a small group experience and then everyone gets a private follow-up call. I believe there's eight classes, is that correct? There are eight classes, Mm. yes. How many have you run so far? We've done about five or six. And then people asked us to reschedule those. There are eight different topics. And then we continue to repeat them. Tell me something about yourself, not as a couple, that might surprise us. 
I'm a pretty open book. I don't know what would surprise you. Maybe hearing how neurotic I am, but you probably know that, Shana. I, I tally everything. I mark how much water I drink throughout the day. <laughs> Steps. I like to talk to trees. When I'm walking That's true. Through. You're laughing, but it's true, isn't it? It is true. <laughs> I am laughing. Why are you laughing? I just find it funny when I do that. But, but I do. When I'm walking through the woods, I do. I talk to the trees. I talk, I talk to myself a lot. I do, too. And I have conversations. And then I, sometimes I'll be hiking along and realize, you're really talking to yourself a lot now these days, Keith. That's like, you know, but, but I really do have these whole conversations. I talk to the trees. I talk to the animals. The other day, I talked to a frog who was going by and asking how he's doing. I know something that might surprise Shana, mm. or maybe not. Keith will walk by the water I filled up to finish for the day, and he'll pour that much of it out to trip me up. <laughs> or sometimes when I put on my shoes, I'll find wadded up paper inside. I do or when we're with a client, I might go to take out my laptop, and there's a bra or underwear that Keith has tucked in the bag. Mm. So he likes to surprise you. Yes. Oh yeah, I love I love to do the thing that's going to cause the embarrassment. <laughs> but then I got you really bad yesterday. We were with a client. And Keith stood up to say goodbye, and it was one of our first in-person things in a while. And his keys dropped out of his pocket, mm. and I quickly snatched them up, mm. and I waited till he figured out <laughs> the keys were not there. I just want to thank you both so much for one helping me. I think. You really, I forgot how painful it had been for me to be on camera, to be comfortable and relax into who I am. It was a bit of, I think, emotional work too with you both. So I rank you just below looking at my finances. <laughs> and painful things. That <laughs> well, well, that's going to be a big plug for everybody out there. Public speaking is so personal. Right. It's it's like getting on the scale every day. It's very uncomfortable thing to expose yourself and to be open to receiving how you need to improve, even though you do it gently with, well, why don't you observe other people? Right. I'm not going to point out that you say, um, constantly. You made it very pleasant and interesting. And I think you really did help me get rid of my filler words. It's very natural for me now to pause instead of saying like all the time. God, I loved, I love saying like, mm. maybe I'll bring it back to just <laughs> comfort me. I really want to thank you for being yourselves and really helping people be themselves and share their stories. So thank you, thank you for sharing your morning with me. And any last words? Off to the shower for in an hour. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to today's podcast please be sure to share it with friends and family if you'd like to follow us on social media you can find us on instagram facebook and linkedin under the outspoken podcast thanks again and chin up heads up eyes forward <laughs>